This case deals with sensitive subject matter and graphic details. Listener discretion is advised, and this episode is not suitable for young children. Okay, everyone. It's me, Jess, the procrastinator. Brie has been done with her part for a day now, and that's after she released her first episode. So if you haven't yet, go check it out. She did amazing. But she's kind of making the rest of us look bad over here, and by us, I mean me. So today I put my coffee mug down, just kidding, and paused Hocus Pocus because that's what I do on my vacation day while it's snowing in Colorado. So let's get this done while I'm still child-free and my house is kind of quiet. Ugh, unsolved cases. Sometimes when looking through so many missing persons and unsolved cases, it can get so overwhelming and disappointing. Sometimes it seems like there's just that one little piece of information missing, a little piece of evidence overlooked or miscalculation that could have solved the whole thing, an eyewitness that saw something that would just break the case wide open. You will always just need more. And with the lack of information, the stories become as daunting as this never-ending year. Solve cases are like a storybook, though. Lots of facts and details, a beginning, a middle, and an end. There's a discovery to comb through and court hearings to watch, and it usually ends in some sort of justice playing out. Shows like The First 48 highlight some of the differences between solved cases and unsolved cases, how a police report can become a life sentence, showing the importance of knowing a loved one's routine, their personality, and quick action to go along with that. Because just like the name entails, time is of the essence when it comes to finding a missing loved one or solving a murder. This episode will be very different from previous ones, but once every two weeks, Brie and I will sit down and discuss a solved case from Colorado. We will go over the lives of the victims and their murderers or abusers. We'll look through discoveries and court hearings and try to dissect what led to an arrest and how information was unveiled. This week was a very difficult one, as I was wrapped in hours of YouTube and Facebook Live footage. Watching a family sealed in a time capsule, I felt like I knew them. They looked so happy and so perfect. Watching the nearby landmarks on the news footage just brought me right back to the summer of 2018. Colorado summers are always hot and dry, but that year was different, and the heat seemed to dissipate as certain events unfolded, and our whole community's attention was torn to a family that was recently featured in some company's magazine. In the magazine, next to a long written-out article highlighting some product, was a beautiful woman in a floral shirt and her crisp, clean family, posing and smiling. This week, we will be talking about the disappearances of Shanann, Bella, Celeste, and Nico Watts, and how the tragedy in the small town of Frederick, Colorado, came to a conclusion. Shanann Catherine Rusek was born on January 10, 1984, in New Jersey to Frank and Sandra Rusek, and had one sibling, Frankie Jr. 
She grew up in Alberdeen, North Carolina, and attended school at Pinecrest High School. This is where she met her first husband, Leonard King. The marriage only lasted a few years, and Shanann eventually left him. It was at this time she plunged into a self-proclaimed dark period in her life, being diagnosed with lupus and living through a car accident that was due to medical complications. I read somewhere that it was a diabetic coma, and she lost control of the car, but I'm not quite positive on that. A lot of her friends didn't understand her chronic health problems, though, and she felt really alone. This is when a friend suggested to Shanann that she should add her at her friend's cousin, Chris Watts, to her Facebook. She thought she would never meet him and decided to add him. Chris Watts was born on May 16, 1985, and had what seemed like an uneventful childhood with parents Cindy and Ronnie Watts, and he had a sister, Jamie. Growing up not far from Shenan in Fayetteville, North Carolina, and attending Pine Forest. It's different. There's a lot of pines in the high schools, and stuff, but he graduated in 2003, where teachers said he was a great student. It wasn't long after Shanann added Chris in 2010 that they did meet, and they became inseparable. Chris took care of her during medical procedures, and he soon became her constant, her rock. And on November 3, 2012, at the Double Tree Suites by Hilton, they were wed. Although it's said that Chris's immediate family did not attend, and throughout my research it became apparent that Shanann was not very close with her in-laws. Shortly after they were married, they packed up and moved to Colorado, where they stayed in a friend's basement for a year while their new family home was being built at 2825 Saratoga Trail in a new subdivision in the town of Frederick, Colorado. They both had jobs at the Ford dealership in Longmont, so that's really close to Frederick. Chris was a mechanic, and Shanann was in sales, a position she excelled in. 2013 was a big year for the Watts family. Not only did they move into their new house, but they also welcomed a new addition. And on December 17, 2013, Bella Marie Watts was born. She was shy and reserved, but always a happy, kind little girl. During Shanann's pregnancy, she had a few complications and had to quit her sales position at the Ford dealership. She stayed home for a little while, but like all young families, especially in Colorado, more income was needed and Shanann began looking for more work. She picked up an overnight position at a call center for Children's Hospital and began selling 31 bags to earn an income for her growing family. It wasn't long before she found out she was expecting again, and although Shanann's pregnancy with Bella was difficult, this one was even more so, and she stopped working at the call center. Shanann had problems with her blood sugar and blood pressure, along with a few other complications. Her mother and father came to stay with them in Frederick, Colorado, from their home in North Carolina for 15 months to help. And on July 17, 2015, Celeste Catherine Watts, or Cece as she was called, was born into the seemingly perfect family. Celeste was a spitfire. She was mischievous and outgoing. She loved people, and her and her sister formed an instant bond. In January 2015, Chris got a job with Anna Darko Petroleum, and shortly after having Cece, Shanann started with a multi-level marketing company called Lavelle. Everything seemed like it was going well on the outside, but debt was slowly piling up, and Shanann and Chris were forced to file bankruptcy. It seemed like with their two positions they were doing better, but according to 
their financial statements. It they weren't really, but this is the whole debacle of Facebook life versus real life and what you're really doing. So there's a lot of that in this whole story. So take the next little part of what I say with a grain of salt because we don't actually know what was going on in their house, in their life. So, But Shanann was attending lavish trips with friends and Chris even came along with them. They spent time relaxing in the sun on a beach while selling this Thrive experience for Lavelle. Shanann rose through the ranks of the MLM and was even provided a Lexus. This episode, a lot of my research was done on YouTube, watching hours and hours of this family. Watching Shanann on Facebook videos, she would post every morning making her breakfast or while she cooked prime rib for New Year's. I watched her open her mail when she got her Thrive products in. She sold the products so well, I probably would have tried them myself. So it's really not that hard to see why she was a higher ranking promoter for the company. But was the money from Lavelle enough to cover expenses? Looking into the MLM a little bit, and somebody can message me and correct me if I'm wrong because I didn't really understand it. But it seems like she was being provided the Lexus if she made a certain amount of sales, and then she would get a percentage of each of the sales. But I'm not, I'm not completely sure. She did have a team under her and she would get a percentage of their sales, I think. I'm not sure. But it doesn't seem bad. It seems like a reasonable income. But when you factor in actual bills, such as childcare and a 4,200 square foot house payment in our area, according to Zillow, their house payment alone would have been around 2,500 a month. And then I searched the Primrose Academy, which is where the girls went, for their rates and found you had to schedule a tour before that info is even shared so they're pretty they seem pretty expensive and living in Colorado is not cheap and a lot of families struggle with the cost of living here but all of the events that happened in the year of 2018 started to compile and by the end of the summer everyone around here knew who Shanann was but it was not for her Lavelle sales. This is the part of the story where I'm going to tell you to pay close attention and listen closely because there's a lot of names and dates coming up and a couple people in our story have the same name so we will go by their last name in this episode. In April of 2018, a woman was contracted to work at the company Anadarko Petroleum. So she wasn't real, she wasn't a, um, an employee for Anadarko, she was contracted separately to work for them as a geologist. Her name was Nicole Kessinger. Kessinger and Watts would run into each other in the hallways and in the office area at Anadarko and started talking at work in late May, early June. Chris was a very different man than Shanann met back in 2010. He had started Thrive with Shanann and focused on his health, dropping some weight while gaining a little bit of confidence. This was something that he and Shanann accomplished together. In the video, she raved about their transformation while using the products, but I, I digress. After Chris and Kessinger met, it didn't take long for a tragedy to unfold, but no one knew, no one knew until it was too late. 
Over the summer, Shanann felt Chris pulling away from their life together, but she could have never known what was to come. On June 10th, Shanann announces her third pregnancy to the world with a cute picture of Bella pointing to a chalkboard that says, Big Sister 101, and Celeste is sitting on the floor in front of her big sister, and the post reads, Ready or not, Celeste, here comes baby Watts number three. On June 11th, 2018, so this is one day after, the video was uploaded to Facebook of Shanann telling Chris they were going to have their third baby by putting on a shirt that said, oops, we did it again. She angled the camera just right on her kitchen counter, but very quickly before Chris comes into the room and reads the shirt. He giggles nervously, reads the shirt, and says some dumb shit about a pink pregnancy test lines, meaning they were going to have another girl. On June 17th, 2018, so this is Father's Day, there are texts between Chris and Kessinger talking about the kids and his recent separation from his wife. Shanann posts a beautiful Father's Day tribute the same day on Facebook saying, Chris, we are so incredibly blessed to have you. You do so much every day for us and take such great care of us. You are the reason I was brave enough to agree to number three. From laundry to kid showers, you are incredible, and we are so lucky to have you in our life. Happy Father's Day. Later on that night, the whole family goes to watch Incredibles 2, Cece's first movie at the movie theater. She's almost coming up to her birthday, too, so that's like a month away. June 19th, 2018, Shanann posts a picture of her first ultrasound. And let me just remind you that he and Kessinger are already talking, so... Just... <sighs> June 22nd, 2018, Chris and Shanann leave to San Diego for a four-day trip through the MLM. Shanann's best friend, Nicole Atkinson, comes along with them. She's going to be the hero in our story, and we'll talk a little bit about her a little bit later. They all enjoy parties, cocktails, time by the pool, and they even, dri and they even test drive a Tesla. Shanann goes live during the Tesla test drive, and Chris is heard hitting on her from the back seat. So he's sitting in the back, like, filming her test driving this Tesla, and it can be provided by the MLM if they want. And he's sitting in the back telling her about how hot she looks and driving this car. So I'm just not sure. Maybe it was because they were all on vacation and whisked away from his Colorado distraction. So I don't know. On the 26th of June, she and Chris landed back in Denver and she went home to pack up her daughters and her for her for their trip to North Carolina. And less than 12 hours later, they were back to DIA. On July 4th, Kessinger goes to the Watts home for the first time to set up diet and exercise goals for Chris. And I say this in quotations because he and Shanann were already doing this. So, on the 7th of July, so three days later, the first phone call was logged into Chris Watts's phone from, from Kessinger. By July 10th, Shanann, who was in North Carolina, was already feeling a strain in their relationship, and she started to question him, Chris, via text messages, because she's halfway across the country. On the 14th, Kessinger and Chris Watts visit a car museum for a date, during which Chris had four missed calls from Shanann. 
On July 18th, 2018, Kessinger sends the infamous half-naked picture to Chris Watch today, and he hides the photo on a calculator app. So, listeners, if your spouse has a second calculator app, just, like, open that up because there's really no reason for two calculators if one does everything. So, July 28th, Chris and Kessinger visit the Great Sand Dunes National Park for the day, and then they spend the night camping nearby. On July 30th, so he's getting ready to go see his family in North Carolina, but first he gives Kessinger a love letter that contained the lyrics to Down by Earth by Through the Roots. I had never heard this song before, so I went on YouTube and yeah, so gross. I'll post it on the Facebook page if you want to listen to it because it's very cheesy and gross if you're not sending that to your actual spouse so but the very next day on july 31st chris leaves to colorado and flies to north carolina to be with his family as planned on august 4th shanann and chris are already arguing over an incident where cc almost came into contact with nuts at cindy and ronnie's house and as much as i like to say this is an argument like looking through the text it was more of a plea from shanann for chris to like Sorry, that's my me smacking things because I talk with my hands. But as much as I would like to say this was an argument, it was more of a plea from Shanann to Chris to show that he cared because he was really pulling himself away even more so. So that same day, which is August 4th, Kessinger searches wedding dresses for over two hours. So she's just on her laptop at home just Googling all these beautiful wedding dresses because she's dating this guy that she I don't know maybe maybe she's just sitting at home watching looking at wedding dresses having a glass of wine as a single lady who even knows but the same day that she is talking to Chris Watson he's pulling away from his family she is at home searching wedding dresses August 7th Shanann confides in her friend's house about Chris's changes in behavior so she's texting her friends and she's reaching out for advice and what to do and everybody's everybody's telling her it's going to be okay because there's just a lot of stress right now and there's a new baby and nobody nobody really knows what's going on. Shanann doesn't even know what's going on. I think she kind of maybe had a clue, but she didn't want to think that of her husband. I don't know. But on August 9th, the family was already back in Colorado and she cancels her gender reveal because of Chris's distant behavior. Like, I guess they went to the ultrasound for it and when she grabbed his hand she he so when she grabbed his hand he didn't grab back and he was just very cold to her throughout the whole appointment according this is all according to text to her friends so I'm not I wasn't there in the room but she also had her best friend Atkinson over like at her house after this and who even knows where Chris was at this time but she had her friend Atkinson over and she helped her mow her lawn in hopes to make Chris happy. And this is just something that Atkinson told in the in her interview to the FBI or CBI um, after, after everything happened and they were trying to figure out what was happening. So a few days before everything happened, she was helping her friend mow her lawn because she was trying to make her husband happy. And then Shanann and Atkinson leave to Arizona, so this is the 10th, at 5 a.m. for a training convention for Laval. Shanann 
again, this is all according to the Atkinson's interview. Shanann spends most of the weekend in her in her hotel room listening to to a marriage self-help audiobook. And I'm assuming this is the same one that she gave to Chris in hopes that he was also going to read it or maybe even listen to it on audiobook, who knows. But she also wasn't eating or drinking much, which really concerned her friends, probably because she's pregnant. And it's August in Arizona, so if you're if you're not pregnant in Arizona in August and you're not drinking enough water, that's a large concern. So add on the pregnancy and her previous pregnancies having complications, this is a big deal. On August 11th, Chris contacts a family friend's daughter. Oh, and get this. Okay, so this family friend's daughter. The family friend is friends with them because he met Chris and Shanann at the Longmont Ford dealership. So this this teenage girl has known Chris and Shanann since she was like six or seven years old. So she's just trying to make some summer money. And Chris Watts contacts her and wants her to watch his daughters and says it's to attend a Rockies game with coworkers. He also tells Shanann the same thing. So this Rockies game is his alibi. But instead, he and Kessinger go to dinner at the Lazy Dog Restaurant, which is a is a pretty well-known restaurant. So... On August 12th, Shanann drafts a letter to Chris that she sends to a couple of her friends, and she's still on her trip. But basically, this letter is just telling Chris to, like, man up. Like, if you want to be in the relationship, like, let's work on this. If you don't, please, like, tell me what's going on. Like, she really just wanted to be informed of what was happening in her relationship, in her life, basically. And so that's August 12th. And then on August 13th at 1.48 a.m., she is last seen on video footage getting out of Atkinson's white SUV as she walks up to the door and enters the house, and she does not come out again. Hello? Hello? Is it working? I think so. Neat. This is crazy. Technology, man. We might just go to the moon. Uh, well... I think next is Mars, maybe. Maybe. Well, people are probably going to be living on the moon soon. Yeah. So. Freaking Elon, did you hear Elon Musk? Um, like, he released his, uh, like, video on his little brain chip thing. No. Yeah, you'll have to, have to Google it. That sounds weird. Yeah. It, dude, it's um, it's like something out of black. This sounds it's like, like right the Kingsman it. movie, and they all lost their heads at the end of that. <laughs> I'll have to look that up. <laughs> their heads explode. <laughs> what? Yeah, that's a great movie. Oh, yeah. Have you ever seen this? I huh. love them. Um, have you ever watched Black? No, Mirror? isn't it creepy? I like real creepy shit, mm-hmm. not made up okay, creepy it's shit. It's not. So it's not creepy, but it's like, okay, so it is literally like, it's, it, okay, it is creepy in the sense of like, like how you just said, like technology, mm-hmm. man, like it shows you all of the things that technology could really do. Yeah. And it's, it's bad. It's, it's bad. You just have to check that out for you. I might need my husband to watch by me. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, are you ready? I'm ready. ready. I fucking actually recorded today. I was very proud of myself. Every time, okay, so every time I was done researching 
and I would like go to be like go to record I would just start watching more YouTube videos because there's literally never ending videos of that family even regardless of the crime like there's everything that's what I was watching I wasn't even watching like I wasn't even watching like the court hearing or anything. I was literally just mostly watching her, her videos because right. I'm I'm typed in the, her hashtag. It's like shine like shine. Oh, right. and I just you can scroll and scroll and down scroll. the rabbit holes. Yep, I went. <laughs> I went. So, anyways, can we talk about the real hero in this story, Nicole? Yes. Mm-hmm. Freaking A, man. If we want to talk about how things how things get solved, it's people like her because she like she was on top of it. Yeah. See something, on. say something, right? Something yeah. wasn't right and she did something about it. Yeah. So okay, so I listened to her um I listened to her interview with the with the cops mm-hmm. and stuff. And she was talking about how Normally, when this is how she knew like something was wrong, like minute one in the morning when she mm-hmm. woke up, because after every single time she got home from a Lavelle like training seminar, she was always like super pumped, and she literally would wake up in the at, like at four, five, six o'clock in the morning and just start posting Lavelle stuff, right. and nothing was posted, nothing like silence. Yeah, yeah. So I mean. That's just efficient yeah. and out of character immediately. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So then she, so that's when she, that's when she goes to the house. And this is before the video, the um, body cam footage right. starts. Cause that's like a whole other thing. So she goes to the house and then she, dude, she notices her freaking friends flip flops inside of the door. She does. I really, that's yeah. She's like her, yeah, she's like her black flip-flops are right inside of the door and she wears those all the time. She's like she loves those flip-flops so much. Every summer she buys the exact same pair. Oh my god, I do the same thing. That's funny. <laughs> so, well, now I know like, hey, if your flip-flops Yeah. Are- <laughs> right. I have two very specific kinds for different occasions. <laughs> so that's so crazy yeah so like she already knew like minute one like her friend was not outside of the mm-hmm. house and then she so she was trying to look in the window and she had her 16 year old son mm-hmm. with her right so she couldn't see in the window he couldn't see in the window so they back their car up and they like hop on top of their car and look in the window and her car is still in the garage right through the top mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yes yeah, car so- no post. Yeah, and that's when she calls Chris and he was like, Oh, she just went to a play date, you know, like don't don't worry, nothing's wrong. You know what I yeah, mean? And this is okay. And this is her best friend. It's like, okay, well, who the fuck is she at a play date with? You know, right, I mean? with no shoes. Yeah, and no car. Right. I mean, Frederick's small, but you can't really get around without a vehicle. No, right. So. You can walk to a neighbor, but not any place else. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, so before she calls the cops, she goes to the doctor's office mm-hmm. down the street, 
And she says, like, I know you can't say anything. You can't give me patient information or anything. But can you just tell me if Shanann Watts showed up to her appointment? And they let her know that she did not. (sighs) Yeah. So that's okay. So it says, hold on. I have it all like written down somewhere, but it's like right after she leaves the doctor's office is when she calls it. Right. Like right after. So then like the cops meet her and that's when the body. came. Yeah. They're all kind of standing around the driveway. Mm hmm. Yeah. So shout out to Crime Vault on YouTube because that's where I found literally it was all the whole thing was on the there. whole the body was, cam stuff yeah and it was time stamped yeah. too so you can like see <clears throat> yeah you can see like um chris doesn't even come home no. like he doesn't even show up into the video until 17 minutes <laughs> in almost 18 minutes in yeah like, and he's like getting something out of the, the back of his truck and like dude could you like just, i don't know show some on, okay okay Okay, so no, and that, okay, so that is the biggest thing. I say, so I have in my notes, like, police, okay, so her best friend and police mm-hmm. are, like, under the impression it's a diabetic coma, okay? So, you <sighs> show up as a husband, and, like, okay, so can't you be, like, a better actor? Exactly. Like, <laughs> be in, be in a rush to go see what's inside of your house, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, th- they think she's in a diabetic, they don't think she's gone no i don't think she disappeared they literally think she's like on the floor inside. right because her and shoes are there just... her car is there like she's probably inside you need to get mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. and he then he then he comes in and he goes to the garage because mm-hmm. the front door okay so that's another reason like we know she didn't come out of the house mm-hmm. out of the garage because the front door it, okay so first of all chris says the police or the police the garage code isn't working right. so like when you type it in it's not working supposedly and then the door is like has that emergency lock like the top lock that you would like lock you could open the door but it won't open farther than like an inch or two. Oh, right, right, right yeah mm-hmm. yes so that's on so from the inside and he's the only one with the garage thing or the garage thing in her car probably like how did she get out of the house there is no way out no, of the house. it already doesn't okay. make any freaking sense yeah okay so he's yeah he's just doing his thing yeah so um before okay so before chris gets on uh before chris even shows up like nicole's on the Mm -hmm. phone with shenan's mom and the mom's like well chris told me that she went to a friend's house like the night before and atkinson is like well chris told me that she was on a play date right two different stories that's what we call a red flag yep Mm -hmm. so then 17 minutes in almost 18 minutes in he um he comes home and like you said he is checking her car and moseying on up he barely even like shakes the cop's hand it's like hey yeah cool okay but why would you even stop to shake the cop i know the the whole situation great like introduce yourself like okay i'm here like what do you need me to do do you need my phone do you need me to you know just run inside. yeah like, but it oh my god my wife is maybe she's pregnant right she was having blood sugar issues she's had hard pregnancies before and we're just gonna we're gonna shake the cop's hand in the first right place. we're just gonna mosey on in <sighs> yeah 
So, but but as soon as they get in, oh, and the cops, like the cops were covering. Okay, I just want to shout out also to Frederick Police Department because the cop in this covered every base. Mm-hmm. Okay, he he was so like he made sure Chris invited him into that house. Yeah, it's thorough and, as hell. Like it, he did he did a yeah. great job. Yeah, but okay, so eighteen minutes in, he's there. Twenty two minutes in, they already find her phone. Right. Okay, and. This was because Nicole Atkinson's son was, um, like, sitting on a couch outside of their bedroom. And he was, like, sitting down. And he was just – and the couch had a bunch of pillows. And he just kind of, like, stuck his hand in the pillow. And there her phone was right Mm. there. Like – Coincidence? So. Hmm. Yeah. And then – okay. So, 34 minutes in, Chris finds her ring. Oh, right on the – like end table or on their dresser or something yeah he's yeah he said it was on their end table right but do you do you really okay i I guess maybe she took it off maybe her joints were swollen right because she's pregnant or something but i don't think she took it off i don't think so either and it's i i, I have a wedding ring right i'm really bad at wearing it but i am not the norm <laughs> And then here two of us are like, I don't even wear my ring. <laughs> I'm not I don't wear it at home. So it's easy to forget it when you like run out the door somewhere. But again, it's people usually wear them. Yeah. Right. Well, and she was said to like always leave it on. Mm-hmm. Like right. So so they find a wedding ring. And so that's speculation, but I think personally he took it off of her. When- right. He did what he did. Yeah, and it, but when the cop is going through everything, like, okay, there's no sheets, and he's like, oh yeah, their their blankies are gone, which just bugs me that he uses the word blankies. Like, don't, especially now knowing what we know, like, don't, don't, don't call it a blankie. <laughs> that just bugs the shit out of me. And then he's like, oh, here's her ring. It it's just, it just feel like I'm in a really bad movie. Well, but okay, so what about when he finds her phone? Same thing. When they find your phone. And he was like, oh, but that's her life. Yeah, she takes it everywhere. You know, she works Uh, from home. Like, she needs it. I'm like, "Mm, you're up to something. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, and I I forgot to to mention that four minutes in. So before Chris gets there, before any of this. So um, the, the Nicole and the cop are like pacing around the house just like circling trying to look in windows Mm -hmm. the cops like popping in and out of window wells and stuff so right next door the neighbor comes out like four minutes in and he's like hey what's like what's going on and they like kind of question him like hey did you see anything and he's like no and um and then he goes back inside for a while but then 45 minutes in the neighbor comes back and that's when he was like hey have some um video footage of all this but i can't really tell so they go over Mm. and they watch the video footage they do and he is squirrely as fuck in that video not only that but in the whole okay so the whole time he's like literally buried in his phone yeah and like we said before we found shanann's phone already why are you in your phone who are you texting right not your wife no Mm-mm. Chris, are you trying to hide your face by looking down at your phone? 
he gives all yeah. these ideas of where she may be and like oh yeah that's me you know moving the truck like it, it the dude it's right in front of them and then the neighbor says he's not out to ride at all <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> That's the greatest part. And even in Nicole's, like, statement to the cop, she was like, I don't want to, like, incriminate the man. Mm-hmm. But, like, this is not right. Like, Nothing none is. of this is right. Like, it's so crazy. because And everybody everybody was under the impression that he was this, like, perfect husband. Right. Perfect father. Like, checking all of the boxes. Mm-hmm. And, like, you, you did, like, you heard how he, like she nicole helped shanann mow the lawn to make chris happy right like oh my god what so many red flags <laughs> what? oh my god mm. uh but i think nicole was really the only one that was kind of like in tune to how he was right you know like you never want to interject in your friend's relationship, especially if it seems perfect and they act like it's perfect. But, like, even if you see something, you're like, eh, it's not my place to say. It. Right. You know? Yeah, I think it happens a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I mean, they even thank her in sentencing. Like, without her, we might not be here. No. No. Without her. Without her, like think about it like the cops wouldn't have been called right. like nobody would if she doesn't have family in Colorado mm-hmm. like, it could have been weeks yeah. before anybody even knew they were missing right and then by then Chris could have been like oh we got into this big fight and she left she's supposed to be in North Carolina and by then he could have driven the car halfway to North Carolina and dumped it or something yeah he was like, already setting it up so and she really is the hero essentially to get it going and to let somebody know that none of this is right. And here's why. Yeah. Yeah, definitely mm-hmm. the hero yeah. in the story. We all need a Nicole so. for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. We really do. <laughs> um, do you want to talk about his interrogation a little bit? Yes. So they start he they ask him just kind of general questions right when they're kind of walking through the house they're finding things and when they get into more solid interviews right at the PD right getting information to build the case and kind of put all of these stories together his initial one and then what we see on TV is like she came home late at night we're already having issues um and then i get I get a call, you know, I've been at work already early in the morning. She was there when I left. And then the cops are calling me from my house. And then we get a little bit more in between the lines of where, you know, we were looking at already selling the house. And I I did contact a realtor again. And there's lots of stress with the new baby and work and then this affair starts popping up and I asked her for more of a bigger separation and um, when she came home that can that conversation continued and the fight got serious physical she did something to the girls so I had to take take it into my own hands essentially and and harmed her 
I want to like talk about kind of how they got to that that end situation. Mm-hmm. So like the whole interview is like six or seven hours, yeah, right? And it's, it's, it's all long. so boring until that last hour or so. Mm-hmm. And they had like broken him down a little bit essentially. Right. And then the female detective kind of suggests it like right. like did Shanann maybe have do like do something and then and then he kind of wants to talk to his dad. Right. And they they talk to him and then they make it they make it like seem like it's his idea mm-hmm. to stay in the room with the recorder. Right. They do a very good job in reading police reports, you know, every 40 plus hours a week and loving true crime anyway and actually seeing it in real life. I mean, they did, they did it, they did a good job. They, they got a confession, but it, it doesn't seem like messy, if that makes sense. You know, they're like, Hey, we've already talked to maybe this girlfriend. She's deleted all of these messages from you because she's pissed. And now she's coming to us because she's, she doesn't think you're, you're telling the truth. Your story's not making sense to her. And she came to us. Like, let us know if something really did happen. Are you trying to protect even Shanann? Are you trying to protect the girls? Like, ju- just tell us. You know, if we bring your dad in here, you, you have to promise that you're going to tell him something. And then we'll go from there. And, you know, he's, it kind of makes you, re- like, rem- it reminds me of a, a little kid when they're, they're, they get in trouble. Like, I'm, I'm going to give you the opportunity to tell the truth. No, yeah, I'll before you really get in trouble. Right, I'll do this, and then you have to do this, and we're gonna make it right. And he 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 really is kind of like a little boy. Like I I just need to tell my dad. Yeah, and he does. Yeah, it worked. I think that's kind of like why the whole. I honestly think that's kind of why it all escalated to how it did. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like Chris is just a little boy. Yeah, and he threw the biggest life most life-changing temper tantrum at like after not getting specifically what he wanted right fast you know what I mean he didn't didn't get it fast enough or something right well and he wanted Shanann to like give up he he just wanted her to give up and she's you know cramming that marriage book down his throat because they've been married for eight years Mm -hmm. and like, why wouldn't you save your eight-year-long relationship? You know what I mean? Right. She doesn't know what's happening. And it's like, I don't, I guess really only him, even now, is really going to know why it happened this way. We can speculate and you look at theories and whatnot, but I mean, you had other options, dude. So many other options. Oh, I don't many. think he was thinking no. about any options. He, like I said, I think he threw a big freaking tantrum like a baby. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> he's not a baby, so, you know, can't really be going out. Right. And he tells his dad, I listened to it a few times because you can barely hear him when he his dad comes in there and they're kind of facing each other, right? And he's like, I failed the polygraph. And he's, he's trying to kind of say the same things the detectives are. Like, are you trying to protect her? Like, what happened? He's like, no, I, I can't, I can't protect her anymore. And you think he's about to maybe say something else, right? That goes with all of these stories. 
she's like, she hurt them and I killed her. And the word killed is just barely audible. And then his dad like asks again and he says, I hurt her. So he flips it like right away. But it's all on video. Yeah. In the interview room, you know, even that changing of the words like right away, just it reminds me of a little kid. Like you, for a split second, you have like this tiny little sliver of oh for him but it immediately goes away you can tell he's vulnerable but still yeah well and then he's like he literally just like regurgitates female detective says like that like that you automatically know it's not true because she just said it and you're just repeating it like right and she's like it your story's not an option anymore you got to tell us what happened. Like, we know you failed the, the test. And he tries to, like, I swear I didn't. I swear. And he's, she's like, no. We're, we're done with that. We know you didn't pass. We're going to move on. We're not playing games is exactly what she says. I'm done. You need to tell us what happened. She almost around. So great. <laughs> she's so <I> great. <laughs> tells him who is That's boss. right. And it's so funny because he could literally... He could walk out at any any point mm-hmm. in time. Any point in time. He could literally just walk out and be like, I'm getting a lawyer. This is too much. You guys are not looking for my wife and kids. You guys are wasting time with me. Mm-hmm. And da, da, da. Because that's how a lot of people get away with things like right. that. Or at least know? to like, buy them, them time. Yeah. And he, just like you said, just like a little kid, he just, he just had to tell his dad, mm-hmm. like, Maybe he thought, like you said, maybe he thought he was going to get, like, some sort of compassion after Mm -hmm. that. Right. So, And I just want to tell you, like, Nicole Kessinger threw him under the bus when she went to her interview Mm -hmm. with the police. Right. Or had her over-the-phone interviews and stuff because she lied so like when you look through the discovery (laughs) you can tell like she knew he was married and she knew all these things and what she was searching for and all this stuff and she's just acting like she had no idea he was even well she knew he was married but she thought they were in a separation like a real separation like not really living together not a lot of contact well, that's what she yeah. said, but she went over to his house on the 4th of July and like in the body cam footage, you can see family mm-hmm. pictures everywhere. Like her things are everywhere. I am guessing it probably smelt like a female up in that house. Right. Like, all, you know, Perfumy. florally and stuff <laughs> like <sighs> can't even sometimes with this case she's uh, yeah this one was this one was it really was i was i will never forget seeing him on tv in that first interview and his arms are across right he's all being weird he's covering up his patches he's rocking side to side and me and my husband look at each other like he did it it's always the husband and we just click it off (laughs) i missed the interview i missed the interview but my husband was the same way, the same way as you and your, like, they were just like, he did it. It's done and done. We, 
no question done yeah and I no, and I was like on the and I was on the train of because I have I had gotten stopped at the roundabout right and they were like asking her like about kids and her like if anybody had seen them in the town and they were handing out missing flyers mm-hmm. and you know and I was under the impression that somebody had gotten like kidnapped right so like they really were gone yeah and they just disappeared and nobody could find them and like and that's another thing the police made it they set it up so great to where at first it they didn't that first day or two they didn't really make it like they were in like investigating him right but they really they were they started it pretty dang quickly and so he's arrested on the 15th, just really a few days afterwards, right? And then they're, they're then they really start getting into more interviews, right? Canvassing everything. The dogs are searching everything. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, news, the media picks up on everything. And, and his truck, his truck. Um, right. Uh, GPS. Mm-hmm. So all the phones, all the computers. Mm-hmm. And like the weirdos we are we saw like they gave a clue as to what part of the neighborhood it is in right what block and then we we drove by it like a bunch of dorks and true crime (laughs) addicts and there's a van outside a news van i imagine there was people in it um just kind of waiting i guess see if anybody shows up or whatnot but there was teddy bears everywhere and candles and it was late at night so it was kind of sad to go by but i had to see it yeah i feel like i honestly feel like so i've lived in colorado my entire life i've i was born here but i feel like like shenan knew more people in our town than i yeah i don't feel like i don't don't think like i know really anybody around here well besides besides you right that's because i'm always in at home watching true crime documentaries (laughs) (laughs) Just we'll stay safe. Like yeah, that, right. so. <laughs> but I'll let you take it from here. Alrighty. Enjoy. Hello, hello, hello. What's happening? Bree here. I am going to do the arrest of Chris Watts and on. Um, so all the fun legal stuff we like. Maybe some of us like. <laughs> so excuse the sniffles and coughs. It is raining ash right now. The world is literally and figuratively on fire. Super orange out. It's weird. I guess it matches my Halloween decorations. Yes, I've already decorated because it makes me happy. <laughs> so I know there's going to be coughs and sniffles. And um, I actually was going to record yesterday, but after going through this discovery on this case and reliving it, rereading it, rewatching things. Um, I really needed a break and I could not stop sneezing yesterday. So here we are just like that. See, so I'm going to go over the discovery that I found on Reddit. It's 2000 pages. Yes. I went through the whole thing cause I'm a nerd So that's one of my main sources for today. And then the ID channel documentary, I believe it came out 
um, in the fall or so. There's been a lot of different um, documentaries on this case now. A lot from the Greeley Tribune or local news channels. um, A lot of stuff that's kind of right in this area. So it's pretty easy to find all of this stuff. And it's in a fairly new case. A lot of it is still out there. So after numerous days of questioning and investigation, Chris Watts is arrested late on August 15th, um, 2018. He fails a polygraph, finally confesses to the murders after talking with his father in a little interview room, and his family went missing two days prior to that. According to the affidavit, he says he's having an affair. He claims to have asked for a separation from his wife and then claimed Shanann had strangled the children in response to that request. And then he's all pissed off in this fit of rage and he strangles her. Puts all the bodies in his truck and sends them out to a remote oil storage site where he worked. But we kind of find out some of those details don't make sense. So let's back up here a little bit. I'm going to go through the discovery with you. I kind of summarized it. Yes, all these 2,000 pages. So as you start reading the discovery, it goes through all of the interviews, all of the video from the neighbor watching his truck kind of come in and out, right, of the driveway, all the ring doorbells, um, text, phone call records with Shanann and a friend, um, all the evidence from computers, Apple Watches, all of their bedroom sheets. I find it interesting that there's this relationship book in the trash, plastic gloves, just kind of odd things like that. Those are obviously taken and noted in those initial searches. Um, Later, there's like shovels, rake handles, baby monitors, other clothes, emails regarding, you know, this affair that he's talking about and kind of retracing his steps. So it highlights all of these things from the 13th when the initial call comes out that they're not home and Nicole can't get a hold of them. And through August 27th, this is big, big, big chunk of the discovery at first. Then we get into some brief pictures of the oil tanks, the area of where they're found, and then you have all these, you know, the science behind like tracking phones and um, like any like pinging locations is, is just crazy. I think it's super cool. And I mean, it's, it's 2020 now, like think of, you know, in 20 years, what we'll be able to do with some of that technology, like look how far it's come. I'm kind of a nerd for that stuff. So it starts tracking all the places he's been perhaps with this, you know, girlfriend and this affair that he's been talking about. And when you look through it and when I've seen, um, when I've watched the documentaries, I'm like, oh, I've been to that restaurant. Oh, I, that's my, you know, main grocery store. That's the gas station I go to. And he's going back and forth to, you know, normal kind of work, getting home from work, weekend routines. But then there's these other kind of side trips. And through the texts and emails, you know, he's telling Shanann or other people that he's here, but he's really with girlfriend or he's planning then future trips with, um, girlfriend so those are kind of interesting again to go through and since it's in our backyard it's it's 
strange to kind of think of we've probably been in the same place as him. That's that's kind of eerie feeling. Then we get into all the bolos, all of the initial missing reports, um, screenshots of him. I'm I'm assuming for you know just a a big kind of zoomed in good picture of him on TV, kind of that initial interview when he's uh, standing on his porch. Then there's this handwritten note on the tanks. So 20 feet deep, it says, but they're not quite sure how full they are, which is kind of later mentioned in sentencing. We'll get to that here in a bit. They even check all of the trash cans, dumpsters dumpsters in that neighborhood. And when they pick up the trash, uh, they go to the landfill, nothing's found right? They're just doing normal investigation stuff, right? Especially as they notice like sheets are missing or there's the, you know, weird gloves around the house. Maybe something was dumped in the trash and they do find that book in the trash. So naturally you're going to check the landfill. Then there are tons of pages on all of the press releases from news channels all over the country, a ton of local ones around Denver and Colorado. And then I mean, up to like the Today Show and stuff. It's crazy. So through PD and all of their media officers and how they get all of that stuff released, which was interesting to see too. Then there's some basic um, evidence chain of custody forms that go over every piece of clothing um, from the bodies and stuff at home, cataloging it um, along with DNA swabs, oral swabs, vaginal swabs, skin swabs, right, nails, um, neck swabs, fingernail clippings. Then we start to see some of the supplemental reports from other um, agencies in the surrounding area. So it's amazing to see how many different police organizations, agencies, state troopers, it's crazy. I, I remember seeing that on TV, but obviously the discovery, you have it all. So there's an initial one from Boulder in a canine search report of the home, the backyard, right? And kind of initial routes, you know, she would take to the, the store, you know, just kind of basic routine routes. And then of course out um, where the bodies are found. Uh, Decono is in there as well, nearby town. Um, with they helped with some of the search of the oil tank out in like the Hudson Roggin area, um, which is crazy. I mean, that's kind of a long Highway 52, you know, where it is, but I mean, a good amount of distance away, kind of when you think about it and all the agencies that help. It's just, it's just crazy when you need these resources. I mean, you have them, right? You have a million different, different police agencies to help. Then... They detail kind of the digging site, the loose soil that they notice, and they find this white fitted sheet, which was missing from the Watts home and the bedroom. So the initial um, body cam footage, you can see that there's no sheets and they find at home the rest of the sheets, but no fitted sheet to match. Odd. You usually need a fitted sheet, right? There's a lot of black plastic bags around the site. Again, they're just kind of cataloging everything. Then state troopers and CBI also help naturally. They note uh, pictures of the tanks, measurements of the tanks, um, 
and how they found the bodies in the tank when they got it open to be able to really search inside there, not just through a little hatch, um, and how then they got the bodies out of the tank. So this is kind of where it gets rough. So viewer discretion, I guess, right? So one of the hands of the little girls was, was actually degloved and put into evidence. Think about that for a second. Crazy and heartbreaking while they were trying to get her out of the tank. And then they've got to walk around in the sludge, right? And see if there's anything else that would be in there with them or just searching, right? And they have to kind of know all of that and measure what's in there. I literally haven't caught capital letters in my notes. Wow. Not something you're going to forget as those officers that did that initial search, right? Next, you get some detailed interviews with um, the Anadarko co workers where he worked, supervisors, um, highlighting his work hours, normal routines at work, right? Normal locations where he's been, um, just everything. Um, Any, they kind of talk about a little bit about. Um, how he was the next day, you know, kind of the weeks leading up to it, all that stuff. Then there's in-depth interviews with CBI and more friends and family, text screenshots, emails, um, all leading up to the missing persons um, report. And then Chris's text with some family and friends afterwards, so I, I looked at some of them like, hey, I just heard on the news, you know, so-and-so texted me, you know, kind of mutual friends, right? Have they found anything? And he's like, no, they're, they're searching the house now. Like, this has been really hard. Um, so again, it's really eerie <laughs> knowing what we know and how, I guess, normal you could say those texts are, are like, a, he's trying to sound normal. And I really like this part. The entire polygraph report is on there. Again, I'm a nerd for that stuff. With the practice report, you can you can um, you can watch the whole thing online and on uh, in the ID uh, channel documentary, right? So it goes over his practice questions. They hook them all up. They explain everything, and then the entire report highlights all of that, like the entire process of how you do a polygraph, right? And then they attach more findings with um, issues at home. You know, they talk to friends and family about any issues highlighting things with the in-laws, kind of relating to relationship stressors, things between husband and wife. So it's all kind of starting to make sense, right? The story is building in this discovery. And what I don't remember seeing much of on the news when this was happening was a lot of the realtor things. So there's, in the discovery, there is previous, like a while before, previous emails and kind of Facebook messages, texts with a realtor about both of them, Shanann and Chris, asking for information on how to sell their house, you know, kind of the details of what that would look like due to their financial issues. 
Then there's an interview with her dad about a week after he's arrested. And they're asking him, like, do you, did you know about some of these things? You know, describe what you have seen with them at home or when they're at your house, when they're kind of out and about, really trying to highlight routines, relationship, and kind of where it connects to these financial things. Almost kind of, like, is that a main motive that they're getting at? Uh, So I thought that was interesting how he asks to sell the house immediately after they go missing and it was already happening prior. So, I mean, if his whole deal was to start this new life and not, you know, have his family around, he, I mean, kind of had a setup already for it since it it wasn't new. They had already previously looked at the information on, on selling their house. Then there's the crime scene reports from the house, you know, all of the details in the house, right? What they found, some more interviews, the location of the tanks and where the bodies are found. They are a little bit detailed as well, so kind of hard to read. (laughs) Then this just blows my mind. So (laughs) then there's letters to Chris in jail from news agencies, other inmates in other jails, all over the place. Someone who knows someone you went to high school with and I'm writing you type crap. It's just weird. So I, you know, you go through and shit, I'm probably not even to page, I'm not even halfway through this discovery, right? And then these show up. So it's kind of a lighter side of this discovery, really, but still just drives you freaking crazy. And random people are asking, like, do you need me to send you anything? Do you need someone to write to? Um, Any book recommendations? And then the love letters start. Swimsuit photos, like selfies of women that I just can't, guys. It's ridiculous. You should see my freaking notes on this section. There's a lot of WTFs. Then there's love letter like hashtags, which I'm not even going to repeat. Like saying that they're on his side. They think he's cute. Blah, blah, blah. Again, cheese and rice. But and it was entertaining. It was a nice break from the crime scene reports. <laughs> this one happened to stumble upon as well and had to make a note of it there's a letter that is sent to him from a man that just dogs on thrive the whole time and is certain that that quote-unquote drug that chris is using that both of them were using shanann and chris that that is why he did what he did so he's giving him like ideas like it's not your fault you're, it's fine it was this product <laughs> what the hell oh my god then there's more love letters they just keep coming then we go from love letters right into the warrantless arrest affidavit which again much of the above bits of the autopsy swabs and invo um evidence Kind of a good summary again. 
I'm sure we've all probably seen snippets of that arrest affidavit. Now we have more police agencies involved. We got a huge investigation from Longmont Police, which is one of the bigger agencies outside of Frederick, right? Probably the next biggest agency, I would say, um, besides um, like local sheriff. So again, cover yours. This is going to be a little bit rough for you, but the toxicology report is next, autopsy report. Highlights all of the injuries, especially to Shanann and baby Nico. Um, what was found next to her as far as, um, how can I say it, like bodily fluids. Things are put into evidence bags, right, and, and, and shipped to the CBI for investigation, that is hard to process. You think of the trauma to her body is so severe that it also impacted Nico. It's I don't know, it's it's hard to even process at times when when you read it, when you when you see when you hear that part in the documentaries. And it does the same for, for Bella and Cece as well. Um, then it goes into additional reports, full interviews with Chris at the PD. So the entire questioning, which we'll get into a little bit later, um, right, kind of word for word question and answers, which, you know, you can watch it, but when you see it kind of written out, it's it's very real, right? It's kind of has this like finalization part, like piece to it, feel to it. And I actually kind of liked this part as well. Um, the observation logs at Weld County Jail, um, and when they came in to take additional pictures of him, you know, they pick they kind of measure and take pictures of his hands. They do more swabs. And all of this is from like arrest to October at this point in the discovery. So it's it's a ton of observation logs. So wherever he is housed in the Weld County Jail, right, he's kind of by himself. He doesn't have a whole lot of interaction with um, General Pop, but somebody, you know, every hour has to observe him and write it down and take notes on what he's doing or not doing, right? So there's a lot of... I mean, tons of notes on a lot of the same stuff. He doesn't talk much. He reads, he sleeps, he's respectful. Um, if he has any interactions with deputies, right, for any, you know, shower breaks, grabbing another book. Um, I mean, essentially a model inmate, if you will. That's also interesting, I think. Then we get into some legal documents for Shenan's estate. You can probably hear my my dog barking. <laughs> then there's a Greeley police report, which I don't remember any of this piece being in the news. I haven't seen it anywhere than Discovery unless I totally missed it. It's not a huge piece of what happened, but I thought it was interesting. The a Greeley police report just a few days after, um, so kind of probably right around the time he was arrested. So it was a pretty quick 
um, from missing to arrest. This comes in. There's an abandoned car called in in Greeley that someone believes it has to do with um, Shannon and the girls. Based on the time frame, the type of vehicle, it's in a funky area. Um, again, it turns out that it's nothing. But that's interesting that even something like that is included in here, right? It just highlights the entire history of the case. Then there's additional crime scene reports. And oh, wow. Oh, wait, there's more letters to him in jail. Hashtag puke, right? Then I found this. I don't remember this one either. I found this one too in the discovery. This is a really weird report from a Larimer County Sheriff. There's an ad after he's already in jail. There's an ad on Craigslist from somebody that claims to have, quote, semen stained boxers from him, from Chris, and is selling them. Guys, people are different. (laughs) That's all. That's all we're going to say there. My goodness. Then we go into the crime victim compensation reports and forms. A ton of more information on tracking phones, seizing of their vehicles, right? For evidence, searching those. Um, And it ends with even more observations from him in jail. More texts computer stuff, emails um, about his girlfriend to his girlfriend, um, their plans, kind of highlighting what was going on in there. Um, Other just random stuff with family kind of leading up to um, what happened. There's pictures of the house, the girls, you know, kind of just in random text messages. And then it ends with his mugshots. I guess that kind of makes sense, right? So in summary, there's so many interviews with family and friends, coworkers, supervisors, neighbors, you name it, right? Anybody that's come in contact with them, right? Anybody that has a lot of contact with them, you know, their best friends, their closest family, a ton of police narrative narratives and reports, several different agencies are involved so you see this theme, right? There's some family issues, marital issues, finances aren't going right. Um, you know, their jobs seem to be going okay, but there's some stress there, stressed about work and the kids and a new baby. Um, and then girlfriend comes into this picture, right? And this affair starts to get highlighted. Stress continues and we know what happens next now let's go back to the court stuff so on august 21st he's charged formally charged he pleads guilty to the murders on november 6th not long afterwards right it's a pretty quick case the death penalty was not put forward by the district attorney at the request of shanann's family actually who did not wish for any further deaths they and they say it at sentencing like it's not our job to do that and we've already lost so much even chris's family has lost so much you know their their grandchildren we don't want it to happen again and they highlight in sentencing all of their their reasons for that it's it's very well thought out it makes sense and 
the DA and court are supportive of that um, decision. Then on November 19th, a few days after that, about 100 days after he pleaded on TV, right, on, on these major, major news networks around here for the safe return of his pregnant wife and two children, he's sentenced to life in prison for their murders. Now, I remember scenes on TV about the media coverage and the media members, curious residents, right, all the people outside um, the court in Greeley. Um, so it starts early in the morning on, on that day, November 19th. He's in Division 16 in Weld County District Court. Judge Kopkow is his judge. When I watch true crime things, I always pay attention, even when I'm in court myself for work, I pay attention to everything around me, especially the defendant, right? So he's still, his eyes and head down for majority of the hearing. And then when the DA starts to go over the details, he gets a little bit antsy, right? He, uh, he starts shaking his leg, kind of gets a little bit you know, kind of wiggly in his chair, but for the most part, just kind of sits there. And each new detail as the DA is going through kind of all these things that we've, we've highlighted in the discovery, you can hear some sobs and movement from family and friends in the courtroom. As sentencing begins, the um, judge goes through the Victims' Rights Act, so all victims are heard that day so parents grandparents siblings a lot of people get get to read their statements to the court which which is great um the da then goes over over all of the counts all of the charges and the max sentencing guidelines for those so this little section here is paraphrased from court video and the id channel documentary he says uh, justice demands the max sentence under the agreement reached by the parties. The agreement calls for life sentences for Shanann, Bella, and Cece, all of those to run consecutively. It also calls for the count of unlawful termination of a pregnancy to run consecutively. The DA wants the extreme aggravation present in these counts, in this conduct, and all of the efforts described, right, from our discovery, wants those to be each consecutively run. So the mandate for the tampering with a deceased human body has a max of 12 years and then also each consecutive as well. So, I mean... I mean, add up all of this, these numbers, man, it's crazy. So he's like, this makes sense of why it was charged this way. And for what happened, it needs to follow the sentencing um, guidelines, essentially. And he says, it's very clear that each oil tank and the hole that he dug mandate the mandatory consecutive sentences, right? Kind of a clear statement of what I just summarized. Um, he was certainly eligible for the death penalty under Colorado law at the time. Shanann's family didn't want that. They, again, didn't want to do the same thing he did, essentially. And he says prison for the rest of his life is exactly where he belongs. Pretty heavy statement. Then, 
This is from his, uh, the DA statement at sentencing. Again, after he goes over, over all of the counts, kind of the legal side of things, right? He says, it takes two to four minutes to strangle, strangle someone manually. And Chris did that. So the person that Shanann loved put his hands on her in that manner and did that to her. The kids died from smothering. And he asks that the, that the courtroom kind of think about that. How personal that is. How close you have to be. I mean, I've had many a training on, on strangulation in DV cases and kind of the history of these things building, right? Power and control and, you know, these stressors coming to a head. And it's, it's, it does not happen like it happens in a movie. And it's very personal. You're into, and for him to do that and keep at it for four minutes. We all know how long four minutes can be, right? Just try running on a treadmill or (laughs) exercising. That's a long time to do that. I don't care who it is, but especially to somebody that that you love, that you're married to. And he asks the court to, to really take a minute and think about those things. Bella actually bit her tongue multiple times. Um, suggesting that she fought back. Um, Cece didn't have any in- injuries that suggested that, but um, cause of death was the same. Then he calmly loaded them all into his truck three separate times, three separate bodies. You can see it on the neighbor's camera. Essentially an attempt to hide any evidence, right? He drove them out to a location that he thought nobody would find them, nobody's really at, to an oil tank battery, and he had already set it up prior. There are texts and emails, right, that says, no, I'll take care of that that tank in the next couple of days, I'll be at that location and I'll meet you at, you know, wherever. Like, he already sets it up so that he's going to be alone, essentially, for a little while at this time, this location. And then, he didn't even put them together. They're not even, you know, they can't be together when they're alive, and then they can't be together in death. He puts them all in different locations. <laughs> Shanann is in a shallow grave, and the kids are in different tanks. And the the hatch that the kids are shoved through is eight inches in diameter i know that they are young little kids but they had to shove he had to shove them through there hair was actually found on one of them that is also highlighted in the discovery you know all the measurements are in there and he says in an interview chris does he's like i knew they had stuff in them right crude oil and they're they're the same size, but I knew that they didn't have the same amount of um, liquid in them, essentially, because the splashes made different sounds. That's difficult to listen to, to read. Splashes made different sounds. My goodness. 
And the DA says, he acts totally normal. I work the next day. Normal work day, right? And the deception really starts to begin. His emotionless interviews, right? <clears throat> he asks for help on his front porch. Claims all of these ideas of where he thinks that they are. He really wants them home. And then the DA ends essentially with Shanann and the trauma to her body going through this and then the trauma to Nico again in the womb and and what things are put into evidence bags just to kind of, you know, again, wrap up the severity of what he did, which leads then into the motive that he highlights at sentencing. His motive from what they can find, is he wants a fresh start with somebody else. Shan wants to save their marriage. There's evidence of that. And his computer and phone have these jewelry searches, vacation spots. And then Shannon's giving him relationship help books, self-help books. One is found in the trash and is in evidence. And the DA, say, the DA says, I mean, just get a divorce, Right. Why go through all of this when it could be, you know, quote unquote, you know, simple divorce, right? Instead, he annihilates his family. Then we get into Judge Kopkow and what he thinks of the case. Um, he highlights a few things, kind of summarizes everything. And I, I really like Judge Kopkow. I've had, I've been in court with him a couple of times. He's kind of a no-nonsense, fair but firm judge. I think it it makes sense that it was it was him that, you know, did, that he's in this courtroom. I, I think he really handled it well, you know, the, how hard this is to listen to and see and have in front of you. And the um, all of the victims and all you know the family members thank him tremendously for you know hearing them and taking everything into consideration for not using the death penalty and I, I think he did a good job with this crazy crime and he says showing mercy on him is understood. <clears throat> I respect the decision for the DA not wanting to seek the death penalty in the case, and the court accepts the plea bargain. He says the senseless crime, the viciousness of the crime, the equally aggravating, aggravating and despicable disposing of the bodies in this case, right, makes sense for what he's about to do for sentencing. And he says, I've been a judicial officer for 17 years and he says this is perhaps the most inhumane and vicious case he's ever handled. Nothing less than the max sentence would be appropriate. Anything else would depreciate the seriousness of the defense and what happened. It says court sentences as follows. Count one, murder in the first degree as it pertains to Shanann, is life in DOC, Department of Corrections, no possibility of parole. Consecutive to all counts but three and four. Count two, murder in the first degree as it pertains to Bella, life in DOC, no possibility of parole. Same thing for count three as it 
pertains to CC, life in DOC, no possibility of parole. And then four and five, as it pertains to Bella and CC, um, life in DOC, um, it's a, the, this, these charges are like a legally different theory of the first degree murder and they must run per statute, um, consecutively. The unlawful term of the pregnancy is max 48 years consecutive to all other charges. Additional mandatory three years are set forth by statute and seven, eight, and nine counts max of 12 years each consecutively. So he delivers a sentence. Courtroom is packed, but it's very quiet, right? Again, he's a very well-organized, no-nonsense type judge, especially when you have something of this degree, right? In this, you know, the media is crazy about it. There's a ton of people around. It's very organized, quiet. Obviously, people are crying. They're upset. It's, it's kind of spooky, actually, to watch. There's not a lot of movement, and the judge asks everybody to follow orders on how to leave the courtroom and where they must go, right? How they, you know, kind of nicely get out of the courtroom and kind of leave family be, essentially. Um, and he says, and now Watts may now be taken to Department of Corrections for the rest of his life. Again, heavy. It needs to be heavy. I mean, but again, like you said, there's no other sentence for what happened. What I also find interesting is that this case has been connected to um, other family annihilation cases. It, it kind of follows that type of case, right? Um, and many crimes occur in August, right? Many domestic violence types crimes, family annihilation crimes, kind of right around when school starts, which delays detection investigation, right? Because there's so much going on. <coughs> And which I absolutely get on a domestic violence caseload. Like right now, it's <laughs> the beginning of September and I am so busy from the stuff happening in August. So it'll kind of calm down a little bit. But it, it here in the coming weeks, essentially, I mean, after the holiday potentially, but these types of things really, they do follow the school schedule which then means they follow holidays, which is interesting that this also matches that when you really think about it, right? There's a lot of tension with school starting in this time of year, right? Summer is ending. We're going into this new season, right? Weather changes. All of that affects us, right? Um, but it shouldn't end in this, right? It shouldn't happen this way. And what's interesting from an FBI profiler, this specific type of family annihilation case is, is rare because family annihilators usually commit suicide after the murders, which obviously didn't happen here. So there's a, kind of an onion layer that's different in, in this case. Still interesting nonetheless, right? <coughs> so he's sentenced life in prison without the possibility of parole. Two years later now, just had the anniversary, he is still housed at the Dodge Correctional Institution 
the maximum a maximum security prison in Wisconsin. So not long after his Department of Corrections intake downtown Denver, he was moved out of Colorado for security reasons, which I mean I guess makes sense, especially with how crazy media can be and maybe he's still getting like love letters who knows um i've seen other interviews other you know news coverage things kind of short snippets articles things like that where he's talked about his crimes now briefly um how he feels now that he's haunted by his actions he's got pictures of his family up on his cell walls but i'm not gonna get into that i'm not gonna give him the time of day for for that crap i guess um and we know where he is, he's not going to be leaving anytime soon. I guess maybe I'm feeling a little bit snarky, but the only thing I, I guess I could say to old Chrissy here or uh, advice would be um, wear thin layers while out and about in an upper Midwestern winter. That's how you stay warm. That's the key. Thin layers. <laughs> and that's the story. I think it's one we'll always remember and talk about, especially here, right? Especially in this area in Colorado. I think it's important to keep Shanann, Bella, and Cece, Nico, all of them alive, right, in this community and on. So I guess we'll kind of see how it unfolds now I think there's always maybe going to be some different theories that come out about motive I did come across in research that um girlfriend is now in witness protection and may change her name um but that's a rough one I followed the whole thing while it was happening Um, and I'm not much to watch the news or anything like this, but because it's in Colorado, in your backyard, essentially, you, you have to pay attention to it, especially when you think about how essentially, quote unquote, normal things were kind of before it happened, right? It really kind of highlights and matches, you know, like, like I said earlier, a lot of different types of cases that we see, especially in my job. But that is the case of Chris Watts. That's all I have for you now. I think I'm going to go unwind after that heaviness and go beat my husband at Tony Hawk. (laughs) See if I can win. (laughs) Bye, guys.